Turning your Bibles with me as we look to the Word, we're going to be continuing in our series um, really for the next few months in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're talking about deeper faith. And so we kinda, we've kind of named 2019 the year of deeper, and, um, and so we're, we're talking about deeper faith, and we're talking about these stories in the hall of faith, which is Hebrews chapter 11, and seeing how we can model our lives after their faith. And so today, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, and we're talking about a guy by the name of Enoch. Everybody say Enoch. Enoch. All right, Enoch. Now, there's not a lot in Scripture about Enoch, um, and so we're going to be able to cover uh, his, his whole life this morning, even though he did live 365 years, which is pretty impressive. Um, we're going to be able to cover his life and talk about the life of Enoch. And you can kind of title this, if you're taking notes, you can kind of title this Faith Walking. Because what separated Enoch, and again, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a few minutes um, once, we, once we dive into the text. Um, but, but when we see Enoch's life, we see two times it mentioned that Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God, and that's going to be really important. And as I was thinking about that this past week and kind of preparing for today and thinking about, you know, walking with God and how important it is to walk with God, I was thinking about a time a few years ago that I was putting together a dresser. And I was putting together a dresser, it was, I think it was from Ikea. Um, you can always remember where the furniture is from based um, on how frustrated you were when you were putting it together. <laughs> Right? And, and, and so I got really frustrated this night, so it had to be Ikea. And, uh, and, and, and you know, in, in, the, in the instruction manual, thankfully they have those pictures, right? And so um, if you're anything like me, I can just talk about me. I'll, I'll confess about me, okay? Um, I look at the picture enough to kind of get a gist of what I'm supposed to do, right? And then if it's confusing, I'll read a little bit, maybe a sentence or two until I have an understanding generally, again, just generally of what I'm supposed to do, but the details don't really um, interest me, you know, and, and, and until, until there was a detail on step four that I read over or glazed over that comes back to bite me on step 27, has that ever happened? Okay, so in this particular time, I see those hands, I see those hands. That'll be our summer small group as a su- support group for Ikea furniture. Anyway, um, um, but, oh man, um, but step four, I missed a minor detail of don't screw it in tightly. You're supposed to leave it loose because on step 27, when you put everything together, you're supposed to have a little bit of give, right? You're supposed to have a little bit of give so that the thing will go together so that then you can tighten everything down. Well, a couple hours into step 27, Kristen finally came in the room and went back through and read step four. You got to loosen those up. No, that's crazy. You don't need to loosen those up. I was supposed to tighten. She showed me the manual where it said, do not tighten all the way. Bless her heart. And so, and so now, there's a, there's a dresser that was influenced to go in in a way that it wasn't intended to be influenced to go in. 
that has a mark that you'll never see because I'll never tell you which dresser it is in my house. But every time I see that dresser, I know that on the back of that, there's a hole in it because I didn't follow the directions <laughs> the way I was supposed to. I remember hiking Mount Washington for the first time and went with a couple guys in the church. And, and let, let, me put it, let me put it this way. If you've ever hiked before, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm saying, especially if you've ever hiked a mountain like Mount Washington or, or something like that. Um, it's important to go with somebody that's done it before. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. And so I went with somebody that had done Mount Washington. I think this was like his 40th time. So I felt pretty confident, right? I felt pretty confident that I was going to find my way somewhere important. And so, um, and so but, but the part that you'll understand if you've ever been hiking before, some of us were a little more prepared for the hike than others. You guys picking up what I'm laying down there? Okay. Some of us were a little more prepared for the hike, and so it took some of us a little more time uh, to get to uh, places of rest or, you know, you know water and all of, all of that stuff. And so I would kind of go a little bit, and whenever I would get out of distance from the person that had done it a few times, I would get a little worried, right? Because I didn't know when I got to... Um, uh, you know, a crossroads, whether I was supposed to turn left or I was supposed to turn right, and the person that I'm following is way back here, right, because he's a much better, you know, group hiker than I am. He actually stayed with the group. As you already heard, I don't follow the directions very well, and so I didn't stay with the group, and so I would just take that as my rest time, and then when they got back into voice range, I would ask where where we were supposed to go, and then I'd continue on my way. The reason I tell you those two stories to set this up is I think when it comes to faith, we have a tendency to get out in front of God. When it comes to faith, we have a tendency to maybe take, um, take a piece of Scripture or take a piece of a verse or maybe take a piece of inspiration and, and treat God kind of like the Great Wall China Buffet, right? Where, okay, I'll take this, I'll take that, but I'm going to leave that and I'm going to leave that. And yet we wonder why things don't work out the way that maybe God would intend them in our lives. And the, and the thing that, that I think I see in Enoch's life as we're going to discover and as we're going to talk about is the most important thing is that Enoch walked with God. Enoch didn't get out in front of God. Enoch didn't get out to the side of God, but Enoch walked with God. And we're going to look at that because it's real impressive. But the challenge for us as we look at this and as we, as we um, apply this story of faith to our lives is what are the ways that we're out in front of God? What are the ways that we're out to the side of God? What are the ways that we're trying to take things of God and maybe twist them to fit into our lives, maybe not in a way that God intended them to fit into our lives? And so I believe if we'll take this message, it'll be, uh, it'll be real inspirational for us. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verses uh, 5 and 6 here, and then we'll jump over to the story of Enoch in Genesis uh, chapter 5 as well. But let's start in Hebrews 11. It says there, By faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was found because God had taken him. Now before he was 
taken. He was commended as having pleased God. Now that was important. He was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6, and without faith, very popular verse, it is impossible to please Him being God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we see that Enoch was commended here by God, was commended here by God. He was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, let's flip over to Genesis chapter 5 and see what this story is talking about, what the writer of Hebrews is referring to here from Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years... So Enoch was 65 years. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And so we mentioned last week as we introduced this series that each one of these stories in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 have four things in common. And the first thing, and this helps us kind of look at the story and figure out, um, and figure out some things about the story. The first thing that all these stories have in common is that God spoke to them. God spoke to them through his word. And so how did God speak to Enoch? God spoke to Enoch through the name of his son. Methuselah. God spoke to Enoch through the name of his son, Methuselah. The Bible tells us nothing about Enoch's first 65 years of his life. We don't see anything about the the early years, the younger years of Enoch's life. All that we know is that at the age of 65, Enoch became the father of a child which he named Methuselah. Right? After that child was born, okay, we're told that then Enoch walked with God for 300 years of his life, for the, for the next 300 years of his life. What was it about the birth of this child that caused Enoch to come to faith in God and to keep his faith for 300 years? And to answer that question, we have to look at the meaning of the name Methuselah. Methuselah means when he is gone, it will come. So Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, if we can kind of dive into this a little bit and, and, and look at the teaching of the, the text here and the, and the things that are written here, and then we'll pull some things that we can apply to our lives and faith from that. If we look at what's happening here in Genesis chapter 5, we see the genealogy, right? The descendants from Adam to Noah. Now what happens with Noah? I know we're going to talk about it next week, but we'll, we'll, I'll give you a little bit of a glimpse now. What happens with Noah? It rains a lot, right? Kind of like Maine now. Okay, anybody building an ark? Call a brother. Okay, but I'm just, right, and so it, there's a flood, right? And what does that flood do? Wipes it out, right? Wipes everything out. Now, that's, that, that's as far as we're going to go. We're going to save the rest of that for next week, okay? Be good. Be good. Okay, don't read ahead. Okay. But that's... But, but, but the, so, so Methuselah, right, was a sign because his name literally meant when he is gone, it will come. The it being the flood that's going to take and wipe the planet, right? 
and, and, and wipe it, right? And so, and so what Enoch knew was that this was a sign, his son was a sign from God that it's coming and that he better straighten up because when Methuselah goes, rain's coming. The rain's coming, right? So he's got to get some things straight. And so if you do the math, if we do the math, we'll go a little bit further, you will find that Methuselah died the very year the flood of Genesis came. Methuselah died the very year that the flood that we're going to talk about next week, Noah and the ark, right? Um, or, or as you may know it today, Evan Almighty. Um, just kidding, just kidding. That was horrible. Bad pastor. Okay. <laughs> Enoch, Enoch was made to understand that the death of his son would signal the destruction of the world. That's how God, that, that's how God got Enoch's attention. God spoke to Enoch through the birth of his son named Methuselah, knowing that when he is dead, it is going to come, the destruction of the world. The death of his son would signal the destruction of the world. That's huge. Now, that takes this little story, little, quote-unquote, right? This little story of faith that we see mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It brings it to life and gives us a whole new appreciation and a whole new understanding of why Enoch would have been mentioned here in the Hall of Faith. But it doesn't even stop there. Because the second thing that all of these stories have involved is that their inner selves were stirred. Right? Their inner selves were stirred. How is Enoch's inner self stirred? He walked with God. He followed God. He was stirred through the birth of his son and all that was going to come along with that, all that came along with that, to walk with God. We see here in Genesis chapter 5, in these three or four short verses, twice that Enoch walked with God. Twice. Which meant he walked with God. Right? And his walk was so commendable that it's mentioned here twice in Scripture that he walked with God in these few short verses. And then we see the third thing that all those stories in the Hall of Faith have in common, that they obeyed God. How did Enoch obey God? Enoch obeyed God for 300 years. 300 years. Can we just stop and think about that for a moment? Because we, many of us, struggle to stay committed to something for 300 days. 300 minutes. Right? Like I woke up yesterday morning and kind of looked at Kristen and I was like, hey, you know, I'm running in an event at the end of the month. I should probably be more cautious about what I eat between now and the end of the month. Right? Let me tell you how long that lasted. <laughs> Last night we went for ice cream. And then at the end, because I was justifying it, right? I'm like, all right, this will be my one cheat thing for the weekend. But then I remembered my stinking daughter turns 11 tomorrow and we're having her birthday party tonight with the family and we got this big cake and you know, I mean, it's my daughter. I got to eat a piece of cake and ice cream for her birthday, right? So I stayed committed to that for a real long time. I'm already making plans for how I'm going to break that commitment that I made yesterday morning. I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but we do that with commitments, don't we? We do that with commitments, Right? We do that with commitments. But Enoch, we see here, was obedient to God, stayed faithful to God for 300 years. 
And then God bore witness about them. That's the fourth thing that all these stories have in common. God bore witness about them. And I think this is real important because for the whole genealogy from Adam to Noah that we see here in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch is the only one that gets pointed to by God, right? Under the inspiration of God in the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11. Out of the whole genealogy from Adam to Noah, Enoch is the only one that gets mentioned. God bore witness of his faith. God bore witness of his obedience. God bore witness of his walk. God highlights Enoch. It's the only, it's the only one that he speaks of. At the death of Enoch's son, the world was destroyed. At the death of God's son, the world was saved. Do you see the connection? God used the birth of that child, Methuselah, to open the heart of Enoch, and God used it to save that man's soul. It would appear, it would appear that Enoch came to God under the threat of judgment, right? It would appear that Enoch came to God under the threat of judgment. But hear me, hear me. I think this is really important for us in, in the church today. The means that God uses to convict a person to draw them to Jesus does not matter. The means that God uses to convict a person and draw them to Jesus doesn't matter. Right? Doesn't matter. What is the prayer? Do whatever it takes. Some of you parents, I've walked with you. I've, I've talked with you. I've met with you. I've prayed with you. That prayer, right, that you never want to pray, that you fear praying. God, do whatever it takes to draw my son to Christ. God, do whatever it takes. Right? And there's some fear in that prayer, isn't there? Because we know, we know that whatever it takes could mean a plethora of things. God, do whatever it takes to draw my daughter to you. God, do whatever it takes. Use whomever it takes to draw them to you. To draw them to you. For Enoch, God used the birth of his son. So what can we learn from the life of Enoch? What can we apply to our own lives. What type of person was he? What inspired him? What motivated him? Two things about Enoch that I want to point your attention to that I think we could apply to our lives. Number one, we've already talked about it. Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. Look at Genesis 5.22. We see there Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Then you skip down verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. We see there, and he was not. We're going to talk about it a little bit. For God took him. We see God's protection in Enoch's life as a result of him walking with him. But Enoch walked with God. We're told twice in these verses that Enoch walked with God. Now, I want you to hear this. This is not Enoch's testimony of his life. That is the, the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning Enoch's life. God looked at Enoch's life and saw a man whose life pleased the Lord. We see there in Hebrews chapter 11 that uh, in, in verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. I don't know about you, but I would love for something like that to be said of me when I pass from this life to eternity that my life pleased God. And my life pleased the Father. What a testimony, not necessarily of Enoch's life here, but his obedience. It's more testimony of his, 
of his, of his death to himself and his obedience to God for 300 years, his faithfulness that God commended his walk. Now, let's talk about the word walk for just a second. It's a biblical expression for fellowship and obedience that results in divine favor. That results in divine favor. It refers to the manner of life that results in a person living in nearness to the Lord. Now let me, let me tell you how we can take this a little bit off of these pages. Certainly in our walk with God. Certainly in our walk with God. A nearness to the Lord. A nearness to God in our walk. And we have a, a, a focus around here where we don't want you to just show up on Sunday mornings and do the high five thing and talk about the weather and talk about you know, where you're going for lunch and, 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 and all of those things. No, no, no. Our heart for summit, our heart for the church is to walk with each other. To walk with each other. And that's hard. Because that means we've got to get, there's got to be a level of nearness to each other. As we are nearness or near God right as we draw near to God we've got to draw near to each other we're going to walk with each other and that's hard I was a part of a pastor's meeting on Wednesday and uh went in and and and, and there was a group of pastors and and the um and the guy that started the conversation uh pastor in the area he he said okay we're going to talk about friendship today now you know what your pastors are talking about friendship right real cutting edge stuff and he said, we're going to talk about why it's so hard for pastors to have friends and to be friends and all of that. And at this point, at this point, at this point, I felt like many of you on a Sunday morning, I just wanted to walk out. <laughs> I just wanted to leave. I was praying that someone would call me with a crisis so that I could respond. <laughs> just wanted to leave. And then he said something that really caused pause for me and really checked my spirit. He said, here's the deal, pastors. Here's the deal, guys. We can spend the next you know, 45 minutes or so having the most boring conversation that we've ever had. Being bored out of our minds, I think he said. Or, or we can have an exciting conversation that leads to change and transformation it depends on your vulnerability. Psh. Jerk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it struck me, right? It struck me because, because it, it stirred in me, right? Because here's the deal, right? And we've talked about this many, many times from this pulpit in this place that, that many people look at church as boring, Right? Boring. But I don't believe, I don't believe that Jesus, I don't buy into the fact that Jesus went to the cross and did what he did and rose to go and prepare a place for us so that this place that remembers him and celebrates him and talks about him and walks with him could be boring. That's not the point. Right? So I know that's not the answer. Right? But, but, but to take from this pastor, right, we can walk into this place Sunday after Sunday and, it, and we can be bored out of our minds or, or it could be the most exciting part of our week. We can walk into our small groups. We can walk into our circles where circles are better than rows. We can walk into our life-on-life relationships where we walk with each other through the good times, through the hard times, through celebrations, through grievings. We can, we can do that, right? We can do that with excitement or we can do it going through the motions, bored out of our minds, saying, what is the point of all of this? 
What's the point of all of this? Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. And we see that God commended him. And that doesn't mean that walking with God, I, I, I can't imagine, I can't fathom that that 300 years was easy. I can't fathom that that 300 years was a walk in the park. Because that's just not the way God works. Right? If you walk in here this morning and you're high on Jesus and you're feeling great and you're like, man, yeah, God's moving, watch out, because this afternoon the enemy's probably coming. And he's going to try to knock on that door. You encouraged? But the reality is walking's hard. Like, it'd be much easier. It'd be much easier just to show up. It'd be much easier just to go through the motions. It'd be much easier just to not be invested into each other's life. But that's not the point. Bummer, right? But Enoch was commended not because he walked through the motions, but because he walked with God in a nearness, in a closeness to God. The second thing that I want to point out to you about his life was he didn't just walk with God, but he talked about God. We get one more glimpse into the life of Enoch in, in the book of Jude, this little letter in the New Testament. And we get a little glimpse back into Enoch's life in Jude verses 14 and 15, where it says this, it was also about these, the Enoch, the seventh from Adam, again, the, the genealogy from Adam to Noah, the seventh there prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Whew. Enoch had a message. Enoch had a message. We see here in this passage, in the book of Jude, in this letter, that, that, that it tells us that Enoch was a prophet. He prophesied, saying, so he proclaimed, he proclaimed over these people, right? He was a prophet, and he preached to the people of his generation. What did he preach about? He preached about the coming judgment and the need for repentance, a real nice, fluffy message. He preached about the, the coming judgment and the need for, for repentance. He proclaimed two things. Number one, that Jesus was coming back. He says, there, he says there, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment, right? So not only that Jesus was coming back, but he proclaimed that there was going to be judgment on false teachers, a real theme in the New Testament, that there was going to be judgment on false teachers, that there was false teaching for, for advancement of themselves, um, for confusion, for all these different motives. But he was proclaiming that Jesus Jesus was coming back and that there was going to be a judgment on these false teachers. And I want you to notice something. That there was going to be judgment on two things. Their works and their words. Their works and their words. We see there, their works, right? To execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness, of their walk, of their deeds, of their works, right? Their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. You see that? So God was going to come and deal with them when it came to their works. And the second thing, the second thing, and I really want you to see this, I want to spend a moment on this. 
Not only their works, but their words. Their words. And all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. I was, um, a couple summers ago, I, was, uh, I got to hear one of my pastors speak. He, he was a pastor um, in Michigan. Uh, and, and, and he shared a quote that many of us are familiar with. And I think I've shared this story before, but, but he shared the quote that many of us are familiar with from St. Francis of Assisi, right? Preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words, right? Which is, which is really good. And I, I can't tell you the number of times I've used that in a message or used that to talk about the importance of our walk, right? And how we can preach the gospel through our actions, but I was moved that day and challenged that day a couple of summers ago because Pastor Clint didn't stop there. He said, we, leave, we live in a culture now where we must use words. He said, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. He said, yes, watch your walk, but please also watch your talk because the gospel should also flow from your lips when you encounter people. The gospel should flow from your lips, not just on Sunday morning when you're here for worship hour, but in your house, right? I love that Deuteronomy passage, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and teach these things to your children. Write them on the doorpost of your home. Don't just talk about it on Sunday morning. Don't just do this church thing with your family on Sunday morning. Talk about it at dinner. Talk about it when you're waking your kids up in the morning, getting them ready for school. Talk about it on the way to school. One of the most impactful things that has happened with me and my little girls Every day now that they look forward to. Every day now. And it's so small, I'm almost ashamed to talk about it with you. But I asked them about four or five months ago, hey, how can I pray for you today while you're at school? And most of the time the answer is the same, but it's consistent. And now when we're out at the bus stop, if I haven't asked them that morning, hey, how can I pray for you? Bria or Micah will turn to me and say, Daddy, how can I pray for you today? Hey, that's, that's my job. <laughs> know your role. Stay in your lane. <laughs> but, but we struggle right here. I mean, I mean the, service will, the service will get done. And, 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 and chances are, the first thing to come to our mind to talk to each other about isn't, hey, man, what'd you get out of that message today? Man, what's God speaking to you as a result of that message today? Man, how have you been moved to, to live a life of faith based on last week, right? And, 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 and we, we, struggle, we struggle with the gospel on our lips even with each other. Much less out there. But I'm, I'm moved here by the message of Enoch because it was a hard message for a hardened people. It was a hard message for a hardened people. And, and I believe, and, and I, don't, I don't go here, I don't go here very often. I don't go here very often. So hear my heart. But the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, ex expecting a different result, right? God is moving. But man, I'm overwhelmed at the thought of how He would be moving if we got some of this right. 
if we didn't stand in fear of every single thing we said being criticized or every single thing we said being ridiculed. Franklin Graham's coming to Maine. Oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble for this one. I didn't say this in the first service. And I get it, I get it. So before you send the email to Dylan, my complaint department, just think about it, okay? Because he'll just delete them all. But here's the thing that's broken my heart the last couple of weeks with Franklin Graham coming. More people are concerned with whether or not he's going to be political than the opportunity to get people to the Cumberland Fairgrounds that they might, that they might meet Jesus. Like that seems to me to be a little more important. Do I not trust God with the message that he's going to proclaim through Franklin Graham? That I've got to worry and consider whether or not I should bring somebody to this thing because it might be political. Oh no, God can't handle that. Seriously. And I, and I get it. Okay, where are we at? Preach the gospel always when necessary. Use words. Please use words. Let the gospel be on your lips. Don't fear the message. Don't fear the message. Don't fear the message. Don't fear the message. Any, okay. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God in the wicked world before the flood came. And he was able to keep his life pure. And we see there that he was taken to heaven one day and seen no more. God's protection over Enoch's life, right? But I want you to see two things in Enoch real quick as we close and we'll walk into communion. Okay? I, I, I know. The first thing I want you to see is the desire. The desire in Enoch's life, right? The desire that he desired God. He desired God to walk with him. Not just walk with him for a short amount of time, but to walk with him for 300 years. And then the second word there is diligence. I said in the first service, discipline, right? But, but diligence, right? Where does the motivation come from? What do, we, what do we need to stay committed? Enoch was diligent in his walk for three hundred years. And I love these two words because we see them in the life of Enoch, this desire, right? This desire. And, and again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how the Holy Spirit um, created the desire in Enoch's life because we see as a result of his son's birth, Methuselah, right? And so the fear for the judgment, the fear for the coming judgment, whether that was it or, or not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But we see his desires at age 65 shift for the rest of his life, for the next 300 years of his life. We see his desires shift. So what is your desire here? What is your desire with the things of God? What is the desire in your pursuit of God? I was mentioning this in the first service. I, I started getting these emails like once a day. I don't know where they come from. I, I've tried to unsubscribe like three times. And so if there's an IT person in here that can help me stop getting these emails, it's literally from a, from a company saying, do you want to stir more desire and passion in your church? Order these LED lights. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, like, that's what we're about now? 
We're stirring desire and passion for God through LEDs? Are you kidding me? That's what, that's what this has come to? Is light bulbs? We guarantee people will be stirred to God more through these lights than any others. I could literally show you the email. I just deleted one yesterday. But I was, I mean, I mean, listen, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing, I'm not bashing Tomlin with this, but man, I went to a Tomlin concert, Chris Tomlin, for those of you who haven't been around the church for the last 30 years, um, but I went to a Chris Tomlin concert um, uh, a few weeks ago, and we sang the same songs there that we sing on Sunday morning, and yet there people were clapping, and they were smiling, and they were happy, and they were really glad to be there, and they were kind of dancing around a little bit, it made me nervous, they were raising their hands, and all of that, and yet I get here on Sunday morning and we're singing the same songs and it's like this will they please stop singing this is so long and I'm like maybe there's something to the lights <laughs> like what's the difference what's the difference when you come why are you here? What's the desire? And the diligence that when you come, whew, you give it everything. When you walk, you give it everything. That's what frustrates me about professional sports. You notice something, those of you professional sports followers, particular right now, right? We've got NBA playoffs and hockey playoffs. I love watching the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs because the players actually play. Like, it's unbelievable. The Bruins game last night was like one to nothing until the third period, and it ended like four to three. There was so much action, there was so much fighting. It was awesome. Yeah. For the regular season, it's nap time because the, the players don't play. What would it look like? What would it look like? Look at this question as we close. What would it look like if our deepest desire was a pursuit of Jesus in faith and we were diligent in that pursuit? Where week after week, day after day, moment by moment, as we walk with Him and as we walk with each other, we pursue Jesus with everything. With everything. And this is a perfect day for us to walk into communion, and I know our time, and we will. God, I pray. that as we walk through this ordinance and sharing this meal together, that you would speak to us. That you would encounter us. God, that like Enoch walked with you, we would walk with you. Like he talked about you, we would talk 
about you, that, that your gospel, that your good news, that your truth would be on our lips. And God, I thank you that we can look to a Savior. I thank, that, I thank you that we can look to Jesus and see desire and see diligence modeled for us. And God, that we are in that. God, that we are part, that we are the desire, that we are part of his pursuit. I thank you for that. And I pray that that would be on our hearts and minds as we walk into this time. In Jesus' name.